Thank you very much. Great. Okay. Well, wow, what a sense of preparation for a preach. Some tremendous words in all of that. God is very big, Sophie brought, much bigger than you realize. God even likes Jeeves, I think was. <laughs> He initially rejected you, but he's not going to I can't tell you the sense of preparation I feel in that worship time for what I'm about to bring. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. I felt yesterday, as I was uh, just going through the final bits of preparation, I felt God just dropped something into my heart, and particularly for those of you who are warriors. I mean, it's almost been said already, really, but I just felt God say, if you are a warrior, you worry, and you know you do, I just felt God say there's something, no, I inferred from what you said, that there is something in this for you today. <clears throat> God is wanting to minister particularly to you, and he wants to bring a fresh sense of peace into your life. And I'm so encouraged by this word about God's power, because God is powerful. Yeah, and we're unpacking the word of God. God tells us that he created the universe by the power of his word. Mm. So when we unfurl the word of God that we greatly honour in this church, when we unfurl it, what we expect is power to come out of it, change lives. We're expecting the word of God to come and do you good and to build you up. So I just want you to have an expectation that God's about. Okay. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, please come and ask you to open them at Ephesians chapter 2. As Ian mentioned, we're going to carry on with our study on Ephesians, and we're going to read verses 11 to 18 together. Uh, they will come up here as well, if you'd rather have a, um, uh, this, that would be, that'd be fine. So, uh, this is Paul speaking, and he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel as strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, now, um, that scripture, for me, divides very neatly into two chunks, which is always very handy when you're preaching, I have to say. And uh, I think we can sum up the first half of that scripture really with one word. There's a summary, one word, and it's the word remember. Remember. Paul here is telling these Ephesians uh, to remember what they once were. He's saying, I want you to bring it actively to mind. What were you before you became a Christian? And I want you to remember just how bleak, actually, the situation was for you. This is a happy start, isn't it? (laughs) 
I want you to, to remember that you were, he says here, you had no hope and that you were totally without God. In other words, bloody brackets, he's saying, boys, you're all going to hell. Not bad, that's not good. <coughs> you were all going to hell. This was a, your outlook was awful. That's what he is saying. And uh, it's really important that we look at this today for us. Because actually this business of remembering is a very biblical thing. Who's mm. come across somewhere in the Bible things about God encouraging people to remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah we have, haven't we? Uh, you can't really not read the Old <laughs> Testament and not come across that. Yeah. It's a very, very biblical activity. And actually in the Old Testament you see God encouraging the children of Israel to remember all sorts of different things. I don't know what you remember. I always live in fear of forgetting my wedding anniversary. Because <laughs> my memory is not always great. I don't know what your memory is like. I need help with memory. And um, <clears throat> sometimes I succeed and sometimes I don't. <laughs> but God is saying, there's a whole bunch of things, children of Israel, I want you to remember. I want you to remember the days of old, he says to them. I want you to remember the covenant that I've made with you and your people. He said, I want you to remember the miracles that I did. And then in Deuteronomy, he says, I want you to remember what God did to Pharaoh. Do you remember the stories? Do you remember how God brought you as a people? He brought you out of this land of slavery. God awesomely took on the most powerful nation on the earth and beat them because he loved them. And then he even gives them a meal. He gives them a Passover meal, and he says, okay, this is a meal to help you remember. I could do with that. This Passover meal is here to help you remember what I have done. You've got to remember the things that God does among us and not forget them. We've said before, it's why testimony is so important. We need to be sharing this stuff. But actually, God also says this. He says, not only do I want you to remember all the good stuff that I've done in the past, the powerful stuff, I want you also to remember the bad stuff. I want you to remember, he says this something like four times. I want you to, you hear, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Well, who wants to remember that? You want to remember your bad stuff? We want to forget our bad stuff, don't we? But God is saying, no, I want you to remember the bad stuff, that you once were a slave. He also goes on to say this. Remember that you provoked the Lord your God to wrath because of your disobedience. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect they were thinking, well, I don't really want to remember that stuff. He then goes on to say, remember what happened to Miriam when she was grumbled against Moses. It grumbled against me, really. Remember what happened to her. God is telling them here to remember their former condition, that they were slaves, that they were disobedient. And Paul here, in this section, is telling the Ephesians what? What's he, what's he doing? He's telling them to remember their former condition and what they once were. So he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, beginning of chapter 2. He says, you were separated from Christ. Hey, hey, this was real for you. <coughs> Don't relegate this to history. 
You were without hope and without God, hell-bound. Remember where you were and also remember what God has done for you. Why have you got to remember? Well, interestingly, there's a very uh, interesting little time in the history of Israel when they start forgetting. Israel starts to forget God. And God has to send a prophet along. So he sends the prophet Isaiah. I have to say, I would not like to face the prophet Isaiah, (coughs) particularly. But anyway, God sends Isaiah, and he says to them, I'm going to remind you that you've been forgetting me. And they've even forgotten who God is. God has to say, I'd like to explain who I am again to you. That's how badly they've forgotten. And he says uh, says this. He says, uh, remember this in Isaiah. Remember this, stand firm, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, because you've forgotten who I am. And, and there is none like me. Oh, and this is what I do. I declare the end from the beginning. This is who I am. This is my power, perhaps, in the context of this morning, we can say. This is how powerful I am. I declare the end from the beginning. If we forget what you and I, if we forget what we once were, which was dead in our sin, you you and I once were going to hell. That's where we deserve to be. (laughs) If we forget that, that we were sinners, what happens is we forget what God has done for us. Because he's delivered us from that. He's rescued us from that. That's what Paul is saying. He's rich in mercy, our God. He's delivered you from that. But if you forget it, what tends to happen is you start to forget God. You forget what you were. You forget what he's done. And then you start to forget God. We are to be a people who remember. Do you remember last week? Ian was preaching about his past. Do you remember that? And he talked about what he was. And he talked about, well, you were a sinner, basically, like we all were. And he talked about his sinful past. But then he talked about what God had made him. Do you remember his face at that point? He said, he was, you know, I was joking with Ian, because when he looks emotional, I always think he looks very angry. (laughs) (laughs) And he was looking very angry. I thought, but no, he's emotional. He's actually remembering what God has done for him. And he's thrilled with it. And I remember thinking, this is so good. This is modelling what this scripture is all about. This is what we need to do. Remember what you once were. And remember what you've become. Now, the problem for some of us is you you became Christian quite early, didn't you, some of you? I spoke to somebody the other day and they said, yeah, I became a Christian when I was four. Oh, that's a bit early. (laughs) Good. But it means you can't really remember what you were. So I encourage you to study what the Bible says about you, what you were before you became a Christian. You were sinful. You were without God. You were without hope in the world. We need to know where we started. Okay, so that really is my summary of the first half. I'd like to move on now to the second half of this scripture. And uh, like we said that there was a single word over the first half, 
think that there is a <coughs> single word that we can put over the second half. Anyone would like to have a guess what word I'm going to put over the second half? I mean, that's clues in the title, really. <laughs> peace. The word peace <coughs> is mentioned four times in this scripture. And um, we need to take some time this morning to take a look at peace and how peace appears in the scriptures. And so before I'm going to get into the meat of all this, I'd like to talk to you about how peace appears in the Bible. Because we often see the word peace, don't we, when we read the Bible? Often. But it doesn't always mean the same thing, peace. It can mean different things. And I'd like to go through some of those different meanings. What does peace mean in the Bible? Okay. So the first one I'd like to look at is this one. When the Bible talks about peace, it, it can mean this. Peace with God. Peace with God. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, this is probably the one that will come to mind. And it means this, that you, when you got saved, used to be an, uh, you used to be an enemy of God, and there was hostility between you and God. But when you become a Christian, there is now peace with God. Hello? Yes? Yes. Yes. So you probably think of a scripture like this. There from Romans 5, very famous. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Hallelujah. If you are not a Christian, can I just say this? You do not have peace with God. That is the current state you're in. If you're not a believer, uh, there are some issues to resolve. But the good news is God wants you to have peace with him. Has yeah. made a way for you to have peace with him. Yeah. But the reality is, you haven't. But those of you who have made the decision to follow Christ, you, right now, have peace with God. Okay? When God looks at you, he says, yep, there's peace between you and me. We are friends, not enemies. Wow. I mean, that's good to know, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I would suggest it's very good to know before you get to it. So we have peace with God because we have been declared righteous in his sight. That is absolutely Mm. massive. So that's the first way that the Bible uses this word, peace. The second way I think we can call peace on earth. And um, I've put some scriptures up to illustrate this. This is what I mean by this. So the Bible really is saying, look, um, as human beings... We need to live like this. We need to strive for peace with one another. You need to put the effort in for peace. That's what he's saying. So he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, it's not always possible, unfortunately, to do that. But, But nevertheless, the Bible is saying, this is the characteristic of Christians, is that you are peaceable people. Like it says here, Romans 14, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. Now it's difficult because also the Bible also warns us against those who, who say peace but mean something else. So we have to be a little bit discerning over this one. But generally what the Bible is saying is, I want you to be peacemakers. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Blessed are the peacemakers, not the cheesemakers. I know some of you are thinking that. The, the peacemakers... For they are sons of God. He wants us to be people that promote peace. It's a characteristic of Christianity and of Christians. 
Uh, sometimes also in this category, I think the Bible refers to peace, simply meaning there is no conflict, no war going on as well. So that's another way in which the Bible uses the word peace. Third way that the Bible uses peace is referring to the God of peace. So when it's talking about peace, it's saying this is a character, this is a characteristic, rather, of God himself. God has a number of characteristics, and one of his characteristics is he is a God of peace. And here in the scriptures, Romans 15, may the God of peace be with you all. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 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 Nice to get involved sometimes. There we are. (laughs) But a God of peace. It is when you encounter God, he is full of peace. I can remember um, years ago, uh, I was going through a very difficult time when I was back in publishing. And uh, I think I've mentioned the story before how... uh, I was really involved in a very difficult project that I was finding very stressful and very uh, painful. And I spent two weeks every morning, I would get up early, and I would just say, God, I just need your help. And I can remember weeping over this. And I can remember after about two weeks, I came downstairs, I just started as I normally start, and there was a sense that God walked into the room. It was like, that's what it felt like. Jesus had just come into the room. And what was the characteristic of that? Peace. Peace. And so here was me, all flustered and worried and upset. Suddenly, I found myself in an atmosphere of peace. And I was, okay. And actually, the project turned around from that day onwards. So we have a God of peace. He's also known in Isaiah as the Prince of Peace. I don't know what that says to you, but what that says to me is, so he's royalty. He has a position of authority over this subject. He's a champion of peace. And of course, when when Jesus comes to earth, what does he do? He's looking for reconciliation between God and man to bring peace to us. Okay, so there's three. We've seen peace with God. We've seen peace on earth. We've seen the God of peace. Next, I want to look at the spirit of peace. The spirit of peace. That means that we can, like I've just explained, we can experience the peace of God ourselves. And here are some uh, scriptures. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you are a Christian and you're walking in the Spirit, one of the things you will notice, I hope, will be peace. Peace. Jesus also says here, in the second one here, remarkably, when he is with his disciples, he says this, Peace I leave with you. Let me just say this over you. Some of you need to hear it. Peace I leave with you. My peace. I give to you. What Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What is that saying? Well, it's sort of saying, he says this to the twelve as his disciples, but I don't believe it's just to the twelve, I believe it's to all disciples. 
You believe in Jesus, that's you. So Jesus has said over you, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. So it's saying there is a peace for you to have. I think some of us struggle to believe that. We really struggle. You know, when I was preparing this, there's a phrase that came into my mind, and it was this. Don't see peace as an indulgent luxury. I think some of us view peace as an indulgent luxury. And it's for people who aren't, don't have to work very hard or don't have hassle in their lives. If you're very rich, you can have peace because you can sit about and do whatever you like. Or maybe if you're very lazy and you're very manual about everything, well, those people can have peace. But I can't have peace because I'm, you know, I've got kids and I'm working and I'm stressed and stress is normal in my life. That's what I do. I'm stressed. How many of us think like that? We live in a high stress part of the world. We do. But Jesus said, I've given you peace. Most of us, I think, feel with stressful, difficult environments, it's like a coat we have to put on, we just have to get through. And hopefully when we get through, we get through that, then, oh, I might have a bit of peace after that. Jesus was asleep in a boat that was sinking. And his disciples said, don't you care? Jesus said, where's your faith? He was on a different, completely different plane. Jesus was asleep in a boat that was sinking. An experienced fisherman said, we're, we go, we're all going to die. Basically, it's what they said. We're all going to die. And Jesus, as we know, stands up, rebukes the wind and the waves. Peace comes. Jesus was able to live peacefully when it was not peaceable. And a non-peaceful environment. <coughs> Peace, I believe, is not an indulgent luxury. It is an inheritance that we can have as believers. It is what it's like to walk in the Spirit. Joy, peace, righteousness in the Holy Spirit. I want to shift us a bit from thinking peace is not for us. Because what's happened, I suspect, is this. We believe that peace is a consequence of our environment. See, when my environment says, oh, I'm on holiday, and the kids are happy, and no one's ill, and I've, you know, I've just eaten, <laughs> and I can sit down, and I can say, oh, all is good, I'm at peace. My environment is allowing me to have peace right now. That is not a biblical understanding of peace. I felt this as well. I felt that there were going to be a group of people here, or some people anyway, for whom... You are really struggling to find peace in your life right now. And uh, I don't think you quite know what to do with it. And I felt like God was saying, tell about It's like a battle line in your life. The fight for peace right now is the battle that God is wanting you to fight. The fight for what is actually he has given us. And he wants you. That is where you will grow right now if you fight. And say, no, I am going to press through to lay hold of this peace that Jesus said I've given to you. 
But if you don't fight, it won't come. And actually, it's the very area, the very thing you're saying, oh, I wish this would go away, is the very thing God is saying, no, I, I don't want it to go away because I want you to fight. Because yeah. I want you to get hold of it. So actually, the very thing you think is bad, God is saying, is the very opportunity for growth that exists in your life. Don't sweep it away and just say, it's not for me, I just have to get through it. I think God is looking for a different attitude in us to lay hold of what is true. I wonder whether some of us need peace in a whole different ways as well. Look at this last one here, Philippians. This is such a powerful scripture. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, in other words, it doesn't really make sense sometimes. You can be going through terrible situations and if you are in the spirit, you can be peace. So that peaceful, so that people will probably say, how can you be peaceful at a time like this? Because the peace of God, which doesn't make sense, is functioning in you. And it says this, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why those two areas? Why not all of us? Why does it say heart and mind? It's saying heart and mind because when you are full of worry and full of anxiety, those are the two areas that are vulnerable. Yeah. See, when you, you worry, now I, I, let's just try and create a, a scenario here. So when you worry, your mind will probably work something like this. So let's say you're, you have a daughter and she is coming to visit you. All right, That's the little imaginary scenario we've created. And she's late. And you're at home and you haven't heard anything. What is going on in your mind right now? Well, my daughter's late. She's never normally late. Why is she late this time? So you just a little bit uncertainty of come. Maybe she's broken down. She could the car could have broken down. You just moved a little bit further over here. Yeah, maybe maybe the tire. Maybe she's had an accident. So you moved a little bit over here. Maybe she could be dead on the floor and could it be awful. And you move from my daughter's lake to the world has exploded. It's all going on in here, your head. So some of you are smiling. You do this, don't you? <laughs> you do. And it's inch by inch you move. Well, this, if this is true, that could be true. And if that's good, well, that could be true as well. And then, of course, what the, the, the other thing that happens is your heart gets involved. So your emotions now get involved. So you are now thinking, well, I was a bit concerned. Now I'm terrified. Yeah. And now I'm really angry and I'm frightened. And now I snap at my husband or wife or... What the scriptures are saying here is the Holy Spirit wants to come guard your heart and your mind. Can you cooperate with him? Can you cooperate with the Holy Spirit? So that means you will need to talk to yourself at times, okay? And say, mind, you're going mad. You will come this way, not to the, you know, world is about to explode end. You're going to come into, no, no, God is good. And actually, if you're worried, the Bible says this, there's something you can do to help. It says this, pray. Pray. Give your concerns to him. But the peace of God, which Jesus has already given to us, which doesn't make any sense, he will come 
and he will actively guard you and protect you. Don't we need this in our current generation? Don't we need it? How are you doing with the whole news situation at the moment? Do you look at the news and panic? Oh, what's going to happen? Okay, we'll bring it to Jesus. That could be your area of fight yes. to grow. Yeah. <coughs> okay, so there you go. There's the five different ways in which I think the Bible presents uh, peace. And of course, as you can see, they're all different, but they're all, I hope, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that um, helps us to grip it a little bit. Uh, okay, there we are. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. The other thing about the fruit, um, perhaps, of, of the Spirit, just to say, is this. It does take time. My observation is when you encounter supernaturally the peace of God, you come into it, oh, fantastic, and then you leave again afterwards. With the fruit of the Spirit, it is a slow-grow process. Has anyone here ever grown a pear tree? Yeah, what happens when you pick a pear too early? It's horrible, isn't it? It's horrible. It's dry. It's, got no, it's horrible. You have to let it mature. And I just felt, I need to say to you, with the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't always come instantly. So don't give up. Don't give up and say, oh, well, I'll never get this. No, no, no. We seek God again. Yeah. We seek God again. And wouldn't it be great if we're trying to know God better? That's our vision this year, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we could say in a year or two's time, hey, I am more peaceful now than I was before. Wow. That would be a fantastic step forward for many of us, wouldn't it? Yeah. Believe me, I'm looking at you, it would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we can come back to Paul's scripture. Sorry, the fruit is busy. Have you looked at that? Oh, no, did I have that mentioned? No, no, no. I haven't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it just will add into some of the things I've said. So, the, this is the fifth area the, the, uh, the, uh, the fruit of peace. So, uh, we've looked at the Galatians scripture there. And so, be aware then that it is something that God is looking to grow in your life. Yeah. Peace and joy, and all these things are not optional extras in the Christian life. They are things that God is saying, I want you to demonstrate. Yes. I want you to grow. In them, so we need to persevere in them uh, very much. So, look at this Colossians let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a helpful yeah. statement! Right, who, who makes the decision there? We do, absolutely. So, this scripture is saying, So, you make the choice for peace, then. So, in other words, you have power through the, the decision making process that you now put in. So remember this little scenario I created about the, you know, your imaginary daughter. You have a, a, an ability to speak into that, to say, no, I am not going in that direction. And sometimes you might even need to say it out loud. Remember we said earlier, the word of God, spoken word is very powerful. When you speak out loud, it's very powerful too. And you have every right to speak over yourself, to say, mind, get into line. Take every thought captive for Christ, the Bible says. So we're going to take those thoughts captive. We're not going to be dragged off into the wrong direction. Now may the Lord of peace, I think this is, this is wonderful as well. May the Lord of peace, this last one, 
Oh, glorious. May the Lord of peace give himself, give you peace at all times and in every way. See, you might need peace in many different directions at the same time. You might need financial peace. You might need relational peace. You might need peace at work and at home. And you might need peace in a whole bunch of other directions. You might have irrational fears. We're all going to die today. I don't know why, but okay, there's a fear coming in. We need peace in that area. The Bible says, may the Lord of peace give you peace at all times in every way. Okay, so there you go. There's the five types of peace. Very quickly, we're going to look at the scripture now. So what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul is taking our understanding of peace and going on again. He's going deeper at this point. (coughs) He's unfurling even greater depths. And he's arguing this. He's saying that the great salvation that we have been given not only achieves peace for us with God, but it can also overcome some of the deepest animosity and hatred that's grown up between different people groups here on the earth. He said, such is the power of what Jesus has done. He can achieve peace between warring peoples. And very specifically, what he's making reference to here is the friction between Jews and Gentiles. And uh, 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 Jews and Gentiles in the first century, all around the Middle East uh, uh, region, often would find themselves fighting. And very specifically in Ephesus, in BC 43, <laughs> there was an outbreak of ethnic violence <coughs> between the Jews and the Greeks. And there was all sorts of stuff going on. So Paul is speaking really into that. And he's saying this, he's saying, there is a um, specific reason why there is this conflict between the the two groups, and he's saying it is because of the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So in other words, because of the Mosaic law. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, and it's all, all good Jews had to obey that, and it was the way of following God. That's the way it used to be. But Paul is also saying, not only is it God's law, it's also a dividing wall of hostility, how he describes it, between Jews and Greeks. And then he says, God has done something radical to change the situation. He has created, he says, now bear with me, okay? Because this is a bit confusing. He says, he has created one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, when you read the commentators, it means this. God has created a new humanity. He's created a new humanity in order to overcome this problem of warring peoples. And what he's saying is that um, now whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or a Greek or whatever, you become a new creation in Christ. And now the only way to be righteous is by believing in Jesus, not by obeying some laws. And he's saying we're all coming in the same way. So now we don't need to obey that the Mosaic law to be righteous in God's sight. Believing in Christ makes you righteous. Okay. 
I'm just going to end, I think, with this, because time is gone. I'm going to end with just a quick look at the first few words. Because it says this, For he himself is our peace. I think that's a remarkable statement. It's a remarkable statement. Because it means this, you don't find peace in you. And now as Christians, you don't find peace in you and in your circumstances. You find it in him. And we have people at the moment who are doing all sorts of things to find peace in themselves. We have people who are trying to change their gender because they're saying, I will only be at peace if I can change from being a man to a woman. That will make me peaceful. That's Because that's right for me. We have people that think, no, the only way I can be peaceful is, is if I can get more money and I can become rich. No. No, the Bible is not saying that. The Bible is saying we are at peace because we are in him. Yeah. And we have peace with God yeah. because of the work of Christ yeah. in the cross. That is fundamentally why we can have peace. Let me finish with this question. Where are you trying to find your peace? Where do you go to find peace? Because you won't find it in your circumstances. You won't find it when everything's calmer. You will only find it in him. I want to challenge you as a as us as a church, I want to say this. Will you fight for peace? Will you fight? To know the peace. This generation, this nation is crying out for peace. The peace that God has given to us. Yet we have to fight our way in still to understand this thing that Christ has done for us. Will you do that? Some of you desperately need to. Yeah. And I want to say that if you know that you're a warrior, I would love you to come forward for prayer. If you know that something's spoken to you this morning, <coughs> I'm going to pray and then we're going to draw things to a close. <coughs> Father, I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that you have made peace with us. Thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. Lord, I ask you now, please will you bring us into a new level of knowing the peace of God in our lives. I pray that we would be a church that demonstrates something of that peace. I pray that we'd know the fruit of peace. I pray, Father, we would just be at rest in it. Father, I particularly want to pray for those who are struggling in situations that are totally without peace at the moment. I ask your Holy Spirit, would you freshly be poured out on them, Lord Jesus, so that they can know the peace of God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.